Are listening to another episode of How to Rock Virtual Engagements, brought to you by Jabba.io. I'm your host, Alistair Davis. So why am I doing a podcast on virtual engagements? Well, effective virtual engagements can increase your quality of life and significantly improve your income. This has happened to me, and I want to share all these virtual tips and tricks from experts around the world with you. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to another episode of How to Rock Virtual Engagements. Today, I have Ali Green. She's recently moved to Spain, and she's in Galicia at the moment, I believe. Ali is a full-time digital nomad, logistics guru, and remote work expert. She has 10 years of startup experience and four years leading remote teams while traveling the world full-time, of course. And she's the founder and CEO of Kohana whose mission is to educate, inspire, and engage teams to create efficient, effective, and innovative frameworks for the future of work, regardless of where or what their office looks like. Welcome, Ellie. Hello. Thank you for having me. So you said that you travel through food. You, 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 during the quarantine, you made dinners with eight different countries. What is that about? Yes. So... As a full-time nomad, one of the things that really lets me connect to different cultures is through the food of the countries and what's local, what's fresh, what the emotional connection or the, the heritage of these different meals are. And so this experiment uh, was twofold. One was being in quarantine for a digital nomad was quite an interesting experience for me. I'm used to changing the country that I'm in every three to five weeks. And so um, quarantine lasted longer than five weeks and now hit my, my record for the past four years of the longest I've ever lived in one spot. And so I, I was missing traveling. I was missing feeling adventurous, being able to explore new cultures. I was also quarantined um, with with children. And so I thought it would be a fun way to combine the interest that I had um, with learning opportunities for kids and how you can learn about history. I was seeing them doing quarantine schoolwork and learning about history and they're reading some history books and it's kind of bland. And it's like, well, do you really want to know about the history of this place? Why don't we create a meal and then share facts and stories about this country? And so we worked our way through places like Jordan, Japan, the United States, um, Brazil, and, and it was a fun opportunity for me because uh, I got to reconnect to cooking, which is one of my passions, and to travel mm-hmm. and reading about these recipes. And it was fun for them because sometimes the food was not stuff they, they would want to eat, uh, but they tried it because we were doing it as part of a learning activity. And so it was yeah. really neat. Cool. Sounds good. I'm also a little bit of a, I'm a, maybe a retired digital nomad. Um, well, no, I'm, I'm a digital nomad now, but I'm a retired traveler, let's say, but I still love to travel. I've been to, I think 42 countries. So traveling for me and doing remote work is cool and I love it. And that's why you're on the show. Cause obviously you're an <laughs> expert traveling every five weeks to a place. Wow. That, uh, that sounds cool. So what, what inspired you to get into this lifestyle, which this alternative lifestyle? 
Yeah, so it, it's been a long time coming. Even growing up, I had the opportunity to live in a few different places throughout my childhood, all, all within the United States. But what became quite normal for me was this change is, is normal, change is inevitable. And that's something they teach you in business as well. And so I, I got that from a really early age. And travel for me always felt like a way to reconnect to myself. I studied abroad. I traveled a lot um, backpacking when I was younger. And then, um, you know, you, you go through all of these fun experiences and you're thrown into the quote unquote real world. And I moved to New York City. I worked in advertising for a while in public relations. And I felt this pressure to climb a corporate ladder to work my nine to six rat race that, that is a pretty cutthroat life in Manhattan. And mm -hmm. there was something missing for me. I, I was enjoying the work that I was doing, especially as I got into learning and development and people operations. But I couldn't get excited about the work that I loved because the situation surrounding work did not make me my best self. And so I was going through a really rough patch personally in my life because I was in this cramped studio apartment, taking a cramped subway to work and yeah. feeling like I always had to make a choice at the end of the day of what's the one thing that could bring me joy instead of feeling joy throughout my day. So I made the pretty bold decision and I always laugh that it's super cliche looking back. I quit my job uh, I bought a ticket to Peru. I climbed Machu Picchu. And mm -hmm. <laughs> I feel like these are all the sort of traveler check boxes that, that you hear about in blogs and things like that. Um, but it was always, it, it was also a, a coincidence for, for me that at the time I quit my job, they had offered to let me stay on and consult. And so I got my first taste of what it was like to be a digital nomad because I was making those agreements while I was in Peru. Things weren't mm. finalized yet before my trip. And so every few days, um, this was back before they had things like Google Fi and you could easily always be connected. So every few days yeah. when I got to a hostel with really great Wi-Fi, I would jump on email and communicate with them and talk yeah. about our expectations of each other. And I had this taste of like, I can work. If I can work in Machu Picchu, I could work anywhere. And so mm. what does this look like for my life when I get back from this exploration? And through that, I realized that in order to be fully happy in your job, you need to be fully happy in your life. And I made a decision that from that point forward, I only wanted to work places that understood that and would offer the flexibility regardless of what that happiness looks like to mm -hmm. be able to do a good job at work. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I love Machu Picchu. I thought that was the, for me, that was like the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I, I went from uh, some, we did a two day hike and we went through the Puerto del Sol. And then as we went through there, there was this mist and then the mist cleared. And then you just saw this, this amazing thing. Oh, I was just, I, I love history. It's so fascinating. It's really uh, incredible. It's one of the few places that I think lives up to the hype. Uh, yeah, no, totally. For the longest time, it was my phone background. It was like my inspiration for this part of my life. Yeah, no, it's the coolest thing I've ever seen. Uh, and history, natural history. Well, there's the pyramids. Pyramids are pretty cool, I have to say. 
pyramids. Okay, I'm a, I'm a bit of an Egyptologist. <laughs> uh, yeah, aspiring. But you you talk about director people operations. You were you are or you were at DuckDuckGo. The I mean DuckDuckGo. Can you explain what DuckDuckGo is for people who've never heard of DuckDuckGo? Yes, of course. So I was the director of people operations for. Uh, around four years at DuckDuckGo, and DuckDuckGo is a privacy company with a mission to really protect people's privacy and interests online. So it started as a search engine um, that what you search for and what you're curious about online doesn't need to be then packaged up and resold for the sake of advertising Mm -hmm. and things like that. And it has since expanded into Um, offering things like tracker blockers and just making sure that people are more educated about really how much information about you gets used on the internet for things that aren't necessary. And so Mm -hmm. proving that you can earn money in advertising without knowing someone's age or how much money they make or where they're coming from and so they really broke a lot of boundaries in the privacy space and also broke a lot of boundaries in the people operations and culture space. And so one of the coolest things in my journey there over the past four years was expanding the team to around 30 people when I started. And it was fully remote from the get-go. So that was quite exciting to adding more people and adding people from different countries and different time zones and learning how to work together. And I, I recently left to found my own company, Kohana, and as I was leaving, we were around 90 people. And I believe they just hit um, probably, you know, hired a few more people since, since I left. And so it was really incredible to see this journey of like 30 people working remotely and in different time zones in different countries. You think it's manageable, yeah. but how big can this remote work movement get? And I saw it be successful all the way up through 90 people. And there's companies even bigger than that that have been doing remote work and yeah, distributed yeah. teams for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I know. Um, I forget the names. I had another digital nomad on the show, but I know there's remote only companies and they've got six, seven, 800 people remotely, which is, which is possible. But in your opinion, what is remote work? What, 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 what does it mean? So for me, remote work is removing work is a location and turning work into an activity. And so it means that you are using the technology and the tools available in today's day and age, but also available given the knowledge and the abilities of your team to have your team choose how they're going to complete those activities, not where. And so what's cool about that mind shift is instead of focusing on hours in an office or presence in a meeting, you focus on what is the success of the project we're we're doing at the moment? How is this project going to help us in our corporate mission? What is done look like for this project? Mm -hmm. And then it's up to you as a team to determine how you're going to get from scratch to done. What types of meetings do you need to get that work done? How are you going to do it? Is it something that you want to have these creative sprints and then go back and and triage ideas? Is it a process where you're going to rely on stakeholders and you need to figure out your communication pattern? 
And it's been cool in my experience. I've done lots of different types of projects all working remotely. I uh, helped kick off our, our U.S. health benefits when I was in Japan. And I think that was one of the most eye-opening experiences in terms of it's a project where you're solely reliant on stakeholders. You're getting all of these quotes and information from different providers and they're on, uh, you know, usually East Coast schedule. And I'm, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours ahead in some cases and communicating yeah. back with them. And I think a lot of skeptics of remote work would automatically put a barrier on that and say, well, like, that's not possible. How do you have meetings with people in mm. different time zones? But it's because I reinvented what it means to work. And so I'm not forcing all of the activities I do in the hours of nine to five. I take meetings at respectful hours for both people. I work when I feel motivated. I sleep when I feel exhausted. I'm in Spain right now and I'm fully bought in on the post-lunch siesta. <laughs> and it really helps me be more creative and be more productive when I finally do set down to do the activities and the actions that equals work. Yeah. Yeah. Locationless is, uh, and deliverables, not uh, how many meetings and bums on seats because you can be sitting on the bum on the seat, but looking at Facebook all day. Exactly. <laughs> I used to joke about this when I was in New York at an office and, and people now in, in conversations a lot will ask me, well, if I have a remote team, how do I know if they're working? And I ask them, when you were managing a team in an office, how did you know they were working? Like, how do you know they weren't online shopping or, you know, reading things or planning a vacation? You don't yeah. know. So you just have to trust people and you have to build in motivation through the values of the work. Yeah. So in your opinion, how do you build that? Let's get into some tips for improved remote working for distributed teams. You know, what, what can companies do to improve the experience of remote working? Or if, if they're thinking about remote working, what, what can they do? And also individuals, what, what are the, some of the ninja tips you can think of? Yeah. So on the company side, I think it's really clear to spend more time up front thinking about what are the company's goals? What is the company's mission? One, that's good for hiring. You want to hire people who understand and feel motivated by that and, and care about what they're doing. It'll make it easier for them to self-motivate when they're working and traveling or working from home and dealing with life's chaos. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this have dealt with that firsthand in the past few months. Mm -hmm. Two, having a clear company goal will give each department head the ability to really narrow down what is our roadmap and how do I break that roadmap into projects that are attainable projects for the different levels of professional abilities, knowledge, project management skills, et cetera, and really tailor the project to the person with clear deliverables, clear KPIs, and a clear cadence for check-ins. And so I think right there, it's shifting the focus for company strategy to be very transparent on what the company goals are and how every action an independent contributor will take will help get to that goal instead of just creating a list of tasks that need to be completed within a certain amount of hours. And so I think the bare bone of any company trying to go 
remote will be to explore how they're evaluating success at the moment. Two, for companies and for the individual, is all about setting expectations. I have a saying that expectation setting and mismatched mismatched expectations is the root cause of every conflict or problem in business, probably in life as well, but in business. Mm. And so thinking about what that means remotely is you have to be really clear about things like, are you expecting people to have overlapping hours where they're working every day for ad hoc questions? Or do you not necessarily care when people are working, but there's a cadence that they have to respond to certain type of requests in 12 hours or 24 hours. What does it mean to be available when everybody's working online? Mm. So I I think those types of expectations are really important. Expectations for how often people are proactively going to give project updates. Uh, Expectations on how people are proactively going to build relationships with each other so that there is that sense of trust and closeness with the team expectations on people's working and communication styles. If you're getting constructive feedback um, about something, do you want to see it in writing or do you want to have a a Zoom call or a phone call? Do you want to know ahead of time that Mm. the feedback might not necessarily be positive or is that going to send you through like a spiral where you can't Mm. work because you're waiting for, for this feedback to be able to be better at your job? So those are things that both individuals need to start to have self-awareness around and managers need to create a safe space for people to be vulnerable about the answers to those questions. Mm. So you're saying that if a company is clear in its goals and its mission and is transparent saying, you know, we are going to make blue bananas. That's what we do. Are you in? Are you buying into that vision? You, in your role, in your department, are going to peel the skins of these bananas. That's what you do, and this is how we're going to do it. And are you happy that we talk to you over Zoom once a week, twice a week? Uh, you know, what kind of communication do you want? So it's being, you know, almost over, over communicating the over communicating what is ex- is is expected from each of the stakeholders. I think over-communicating, if your past examples in life is not having that, not over-communicating in the sense that every day I want to know how many skins you peeled off of these blue bananas. Like that yeah. might be information overload and it, it yeah. could be very demotivating or people could have Zoom fatigue if every day they're, they're yeah, getting yeah, on yeah. a Zoom meeting and saying, I peeled five bananas today. But yeah. things, things like uh, over-communicating the guidelines and the expectations of we're going to peel these blue bananas, I expect you to figure out how you're going to do that or the method in which we peel the bananas is first you take the left side and then you take the right side. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's good for telling people how much autonomy they have in completing the task. And mm-hmm. then things like weekly, um, asynchronously on Slack, you're going to write how many, uh, on, on Monday, you're going to write how many bananas you think you can peel. On Friday, you're going to give us the actual number. And yeah. if you're behind schedule, explain why and how we're going to catch up to the, our yeah. end goal, which is 100. And then maybe twice a month, we're all going to get together and share ideas on like how we can be better at peeling these bananas. And we're going to use that time to, to talk to each other about things going on personally or, or talk more about like our hobbies and things we're reading. Mm. 
And, and mm-hmm. so that way people start to understand what it's like not only to do their job and how to do their job, but what it's mm-hmm. like to be in a virtual community with their coworkers. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think a lot of people who are not digital nomads or remote gurus would say that, you know, this new normal or this new dawn or whatever you like to call it, you know, there's less connection, there's less engagement. So, you know, people might get lonely or they might, the mental health might suffer. There'll be less teamwork. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that it's interesting because the biggest shift for companies will be shifting their mindset about how to approach work and not trying to replicate what happens in the office remotely. So things that happen in the office are usually a lot of in-person meetings, random bump-ins to people over coffee or in the bathroom. The water cooler. Like that. Yeah, the the quote-unquote water cooler. While that's great for creating spontaneous connections, it lacks intentionality that I think is a benefit for remote work. And so in order to make remote work be successful for people, it's not about trying to mimic like how do we create water coolers virtually Mm. because that can be one quite like anxiety inducing for people that are introverted or they're not used to communicating well over video or they have a busy life schedule and they're stressed about getting on a zoom call with no clear purpose. Mm. And, And so I think that's frustrating for people. And we're seeing this now we're seeing articles about zoom fatigue and things like that. What I would recommend people do instead to create community is to have it be built in as a purpose and a function of meetings. And so meetings, especially one-on-one meetings or team meetings, the goal of it is to learn more about each other. And the business impact of that is the more you know about someone, the more you begin to trust them, the more you begin to want to help them, you begin to understand the context of how and why they say certain things or want to make certain decisions, if they're more risk adverse, if they're not, things like that. And Mm. so building that in as a meaningful part of the meetings and then letting all of the other stuff that can be asynchronous, all the business stuff move to being asynchronous, I I think is a shift in meetings people don't understand. It's like, oh, well, why would we have a meeting purely for socializing? Like we need to squeeze in the business stuff too. Yeah, 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 yeah. You don't always have to do that if the business stuff can just be written online and it's straightforward and there's no decision that needs to be made. There's no brainstorming. It's not complex. It's just how many bananas people peeled. They don't need to talk about that. What they do need to talk about is, are they feeling lonely? And if so, what types of stuff do they enjoy talking about as it relates to their field? Oh, maybe there's this online community for designers and they can go and participate in design skill shares and then bring it back to the team and educate people. Or they're just missing their in-person like game nights. And maybe there's a group of people at work that might be feeling isolated and they want to get together and play virtual games after work. And so it's really about asking the people that make up your company what their needs are and then starting to think about how you can solve for those needs. Yeah. So I think what you're saying is you can use tools, you can use digital tools to do asynchronous work in the teams, like with Microsoft Teams or Asana or MondayMonday.com. I see those those ads everywhere. Uh, There's so many tools now where you can 
do, as you say, asynchronous work and then use Zoom or whatever your platform is as a connection tool. So that is the glue that solidifies the teamwork and gets more personal, creates the bonds. And if people are feeling a bit vulnerable or not so cool or whatever, that they can talk about their feelings and, you know, get it out, so to speak. Yeah. And I think what's been, been really interesting during the pandemic is people are starting to have a window into the personal lives of their bosses, of their colleagues. And it's letting people not have such strict boundaries about this is my professional alley green and this is my personal alley green. Yeah. People, like you can see the space that I'm in right now. There's a guitar that I do not play and you could ask me about it and then you learn something new about me. And so I think in this way, you're inviting people into your whole life and you're showing up more yeah. holistically at work and it creates space for people if they feel safe and, and hopefully they do feel safe in their company. Mm-hmm to be vulnerable about stressful things going on um, or to have a couple laughs. Like we've all seen some probably yeah, some yeah. bad examples of like things happening on zoom that shouldn't happen. Um, but they should happen because we're all human and we all make mistakes and it's a way to bond with someone and laugh over those experiences. Sure. Sure. I agree. Okay. That's, that's an interesting tip. I'm just conscious about time. So I want to ask you two questions. First, the seven and seven family gathering in Cape Town in 2021. Interesting, because I live in Cape Town mm-hmm. and I'm probably a digital nomad. First question, tell me about that. And then secondly, for any aspiring digital nomads who want to live a lifestyle like you, top three tips. Great. So seven and seven is a conference where it's seven continents in seven years. They're ending in Antarctica. It got pushed back to 2021 due to COVID. In 2019, I spoke at their conference in New Zealand, and it's a great opportunity for conference of digital nomads, remote workers, location independent. You choose your label to come together and talk about real issues that are facing them in their personal life, in their professional life, in that intersection. The topic I spoke about was mental health and remote work. And and so you already see that it's not just about how to grow your business in 100 days, but there are very tactical tips on how to do that. What I love about the 7 and 7 community is for a conference, they keep it intentionally on the smaller side so people can form true connections with each other while they're in a different space. And yep. I was really excited they were going to Cape Town because Cape Town has been one of the places that was my longest home base uh, when I was a digital nomad. I was there for 10 weeks, which surprisingly okay. was, was the longest. So uh, hopefully I'll, I'll get to see Cape Town again in 2021. And then top three tips to become a digital nomad One is throw out any definition you think of what it means to be a digital nomad and figure out what your definition is. You're not a bad digital nomad if you have a home base or if you travel really slowly or if you travel really fast. It's just about letting the whole world become your home and learning through travel and doing your work along the way. Mm -hmm. Two is seek out community and try to find people that you can build long-lasting friendships with early on. Similar to working from home, traveling alone can be really fun and exciting at first, but can lead to isolation. There are so many resources 
from for people that work remotely from just Facebook groups like enter a city like Lisbon Digital Nomads and there's usually lots of great professional networking but also fun events going on there's mm-hmm. also co-living places where professionals live and work together um, Sun and Co Hacker Paradise are some great examples of that if you're nervous about the traveling piece and, and want to do it with people that will hold you accountable for work that will be your hiking buddy things like that yeah yeah um, it is a really good resource for people and three um, be realistic about what you can accomplish and like focus on your personal energy and your rhythm and your work and don't get lost in the excitement of the lifestyle. Okay. So get rid of your preconceptions, seek out community. That's quite a cool tip and be a, be realistic about what you can do or not do. Awesome summary. Yes. <laughs> Active listening. <laughs> <laughs> check, check, check. okay thanks very much uh, Ali for your time today and your valuable input you've been a very gracious guest very knowledgeable and I think there's some really cool tips and information here for people who are considering this lifestyle or even companies if they'd like to branch out into the space so thanks very much for being on the show awesome it was really great to talk to you all and thank you all of the listeners Um, If you need to find me, I'm on. LinkedIn. Oh yes, sorry. Green. I forgot. I forgot to. I forgot to. I always ask that question, but I forgot this time. Okay, yes. How can people get hold of you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Ali Green. My website is kohana.io, so you can also find me there. Uh, and if you're more interested in the, the travel through food, you can check me out on Instagram. I'm CN Green, and I post a lot about the things I'm baking at, in the kitchen and hikes and buying fish out of a van and things like that. Okay, cool. Cool. <laughs> Koana's with a C, C-O-H-A-N-A dot I-O. Yes, thank you. Cool. Cheers. Thanks for listening. For more episodes, please listen on any one of your favorite podcasting channels like iTunes, Spotify, or Anchor.fm. If you would like to be interviewed or need more information, please email me at alistair at jabber.io. That's A-L-I-S-T-A-I-R at J-A-B-B-A dot I-O. Cheers.